Well, it is awfully good to be back from the holidays. I hope everyone has had a wonderful Christmas and a um, happy new year. We certainly did. Leanne surprised me. I don't know if you're aware of this, but um, she surprised me with football tickets to a bowl game down in Orlando. And um, it was the Cheez-It Bowl. And um, Florida State won, which is a, a rare occasion um, the past few years. But it, it's the first time I've ever been able to see um, Florida State um, play in, a, in a, um, a bowl game, at least see them live. But it was, it, was, it was wonderful. And as I was there, it was, um, we played in Oklahoma, and it was kind of hard to tell because the colors are so similar um, with Oklahoma and Florida State. And um, it's kind of hard to tell just how uh, many Oklahoma Sooner fans there were versus Florida State fans. But I, if I had to hazard a, a guess, it would be about 75 to 80% Florida State fans were in that bowl game. So it felt a lot like a home game just in Orlando, which is a long way away. Uh, but it was wonderful. Um, and it was wonderful not just for the game and the experience and of the bowl game, but it, it was wonderful being live in that atmosphere. Um, you know, f- college football is its own thing. As we, as we know, look, growing up in the Southeast, it's its own thing. And it is wonderful. Um, as I was sitting there, I, I, I couldn't help but go back and think about all the games, I, not, not each and every individual game, but just the experience of, of growing up in Tallahassee and having season tickets, going with my parents and sitting there watching these games, and then um, being a student at Florida State and, again, going to seasonal games, and, and then after graduation, continuing to keep season tickets and continuing to go to games. And it was, it just kind of brought all of these memories, kind of just coming back and, and, and what it's like to, well, to go to college. You know, I grew up in, in Tallahassee, Florida, which is where Florida State is located. But being in Tallahassee doesn't mean you are Florida State. In fact, when I enrolled at Florida State and went, stepped on campus, it was like stepping into a different world. I was, I was not a Florida State student. I mean, I knew where the campus was. I was, I was three miles away from the campus when I, as I grew up. But there is something that happens when you enter a new world, whether it's a new job or a new school or a new home, a new organization, a new fraternity, a new group, a new church. There's all kinds of things that happen that allow us to feel a sense of belonging. And these things that happen are unique to the setting. We all have our own experiences of of being new in some group. Well, when I went to Florida State, like I said, three miles away, I stepped on that campus. I had no idea where anything was by name. I knew where the main gate was. I knew where the side gates were. But I, Ruby Diamond Auditorium had no clue. I knew where the stadium was. But you start talking about Love Building and um, the Chemistry Building, the Keene Building, whatever. So I had my map like every other freshman. And I had my map, and I was looking at where to go. In my first class, now keep in mind, I graduated from a very small high school. I had 56 people in my graduating class. Very small. 
And I stepped into, into Florida State, and I went to my first class. It was at Ruby Diamond Auditorium. Sounds fair enough. I walked into that classroom, and there were 992 people in this auditorium. And I was, of course, late, so I had to sit in the balcony. 900 people. I thought I was in the wrong place. I went outside two or three times to make sure I had the right building and the right room. I thought it was orientation. I'd never seen so many people. But that was my first entry into Florida State. And there were other things that happened along the way that let me feel a sense of initiation, if you will, a sense of that I now belong to this community. And I still feel it, just as you do with, with your schools and your organizations and your companies and your firms, your neighborhoods. It doesn't matter where we're from. What matters is where we go and how we are welcomed, how we receive this sense of belonging. And every group of people, whether it's a fraternity, it's a school, it's a church, it's a job, it's a company, a firm, whatever it is, they each have their own unique way of welcoming people in and initiating people. That's kind of what happens at baptism. It's the church's way, it's God's way of, of symbolizing and signifying that we are part of God's family. We, are, we, are, we belong to God's family. We're marked with water. Now think about that. John the Baptist in the, in the Gospel of Matthew is in the Jordan River baptizing any who will come with a baptism of repentance. It's a call for renewal of the people of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. Come and turn away from the way you've been living and come and be washed ritually, pure, to be pure. To now move towards God. Change this old way of living and find this new way of living that follows God. And now Jesus steps into this scene and says to John the baptizer, I'm here to be baptized. Now to understand, to even begin to understand what, what is happening here, we need to kind of back up and take a, a kind of a contextual view of what has happened. Well, this all takes place in, in Matthew chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. But before then, we have Joseph's perspective of Jesus' birth. And if we remember, go back and remember what happens to Joseph in this account. Joseph finds out Mary's pregnant. And he knows it's not, not his. And he begins to think, I need to do something. I can't go through with this. So he was going to dismiss her quietly. Send her on her way. Back to her family if they'll have her. And then he has a dream where God explains the child in Mary's pregnancy. 
And that's when Joseph changes his mind and says, I will, I'll, I'll, I'll stay with Mary and I'll raise this child as my own. And then when the child is born, we are told about the visit of the Magi. When these Magi from far away come to pay homage to this newborn king, and they go to Herod, and Herod says, yeah, you, I'll, you need to go look for him. I think he's in Bethlehem. That's what my, my people tell me, that he's in Bethlehem. Go find him, and then let me know where he is, and I'll go pay homage too. Well, Herod is paranoid. He wants to kill this newborn king. So the Magi receive a dream from God to say, don't go back to Herod, go home another way. And then a dream comes back to Joseph and tells Joseph, take you and your young family and go to Egypt because it's about to get bad. And then we have the slaughter of the innocents. All boys under two years old are killed by Herod out of paranoia, out of fear. But Jesus and Joseph and Mary are safe in Egypt. Then God comes to Joseph again a couple of years later and says, it's time to go back, go back to Israel. When he returns to Israel, he's afraid because now Herod's son is now the king in Judea. But yet another dream from God, and God tells Joseph, don't settle in Bethlehem. Don't settle in Jerusalem. Continue on to Galilee. And that's where we find Jesus with Joseph and Mary in Nazareth of Galilee. And in chapter 3, we pick up with another character, the character of John the Baptizer. And he's in the Jordan River, and he's doing all this baptizing. And that's when Jesus, as an adult, shows up in the Jordan Valley and says, John, I'm here to be baptized by you. And John pushes back, rejects the whole notion. And if we're serious with ourselves, if we're honest, we probably have questions about why is Jesus coming to be baptized with the, with the water of repentance by John? Why is, the, why is a prophet of the Lord baptizing the Lord? It makes no sense. I invite us to hear this account that we find in Matthew chapter 3, beginning in verse 13, with this backdrop of how we've arrived. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered, Let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus had been baptized... Just as, he, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. May God bless the reading of the word. Thanks be to God. This is a powerful moment. You know, we have been following since Advent. The first Sunday of Advent, we raced through four weeks of Advent to arrive on Christmas Eve to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. And then on Christmas Day, we celebrate the light of the world. 
And on Epiphany, we celebrated the Magi come to pay homage, that all the world will gather around this light of the world. And today, we remember Jesus' baptism as he prepares to go into public ministry, as he finds his affirmation from above. But why? This is kind of a puzzle. Do you ever ask yourself, why did Jesus get baptized? What was the point? What's the purpose? It is a little confusing. You know, if, if we think back on, the, on this whole account, remember now that the, the, the Jewish people, people in Israel and Judea and Galilee and Jerusalem, they were, they were looking forward. They anticipated, they expected God to do something wonderful, something powerful. They fully expected the Messiah to arrive as a, as a triumphant king, as a warrior king, riding in on a white horse, to, to throw the Romans out, to renew the temple, to renew all of Jerusalem and set up this kingdom that would be righteous in the eyes of God. That's what they expected. They expected this absolute, phenomenal, life-changing, paradigm-shifting exchange when the oppressors are kicked out and the throne of David is set up and would be there forever. This was huge. And what they get was totally surprising. They get a young rabbi from the backwaters of Galilee who doesn't ride in on a white horse but is born and is threatened as a child. Takes refuge in Egypt for years. And his family runs hiding in to Galilee, to Nazareth. Not exactly the warrior king they were expecting. And so as we think about that, as I think about this, I, I ran across a, a book. It's a wonderful little book. It's called um, Matthew for Everyone. It's written by a guy named N.T. Wright. He's a New Testament scholar. He has a whole series on every book in the New Testament. And it's called the Matthew for Everyone or John for everyone, or Mark for everyone, or Romans. Did you get the idea? It's something for everyone. Well, he has this incredible um, story about the baptism of Jesus and Matthew. And he talks about going to a concert. Now, I love concerts. But he's talking about a really big concert. And, and every, I mean, this is like, you know, imagine the biggest concert you could possibly, imagine the Beatles at Shea Stadium. That's what we're talking about. And people have been gathering up, and they're pressing in on Shea Stadium. It's standing room only in Shea Stadium, waiting for the Beatles to come out and sing, I want to hold your hand. This is what they're waiting for. They want to see Ringo, and they want to see Paul, and John, and George. That's what they want to see. And they're there waiting, expecting. They, they are just there. Well, you, we've, all seen the, we've all seen the images on the newsreels. Women are, are passing out. They're crying. They're screaming. You know, men are, are fainting. It, it's just it's complete chaos in Shea Stadium. And what if at Shea Stadium on that day in 1964, the manager comes out, the stage manager, and says, um, the Fab Four have arrived. We're looking forward to it. They're here to put on a great show. Just get ready. 
And people begin, you can feel the energy rising up, the pulse is rising up, and then all of a sudden, this guy walks out on the stage. And he's holding a flute. And he begins to play, I want to hold your hand. People are just dumbfounded. He doesn't have the mop top haircut, he doesn't have the suit. Where's the fab four? Where are the rest of them? Who is this guy? But he's playing this very familiar tune. I want to hold your hand. And it begins to well up. And, and as the crowd begins to, begins to feel the familiarity and the expectation of all that they had anticipated, they begin to sway and move in tune and in time with this song. It's very familiar. And it's raising the energy. And the people are standing. And they're ready to erupt. But they still can't get it out of their heads that this is a guy with a flute. What is happening? And then when all of a sudden, they hear the chord and the chords of the guitars and the bang of the drums... And this song just erupts. And people are ecstatic. That is what's happening in the baptism of Christ. People anticipated something huge, enormous, paradigm shift, things that would shift the, the, the course of the earth. And what they got was something very quiet, very haunting very unassuming. But if we listen, if we pay attention to what's happening in Matthew and what is being revealed, beginning to being revealed in this baptism, we see something very powerful, something very familiar, something very anticipated and expected, and that is that God has come to be with us. And in Jesus Christ... God has come to identify with us. It surprises us. Completely surprises us. We get exactly what we need in ways that we could never have imagined. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God Himself has entered the world as a newborn baby, vulnerable, fragile, at risk, and is now walking, taking the main stage to be baptized that identifies him with us, you and me, as broken people. Because he came for us. And he identifies with us so that he might live for us, so that he might die for us, and bear our sins for us, that he might be resurrected and offer us eternal life, a life full. That's the point of the baptism. It's God's way of showing grace. Grace that goes before we ever know there's a God or God's grace. It's God's way of showing God is with us, and that we can be with him. 
This little phrase that Jesus uses, that, that all righteousness might be fulfilled, it's not about um, being perfect and sinless. All righteousness is about being in right relationship with God that allows us to be in right relationship with others, with each other. Christ comes and gives us this tangible symbol, a living symbol, that he identifies with each and every one of us. Broken humanity. In need of repentance. Desiring and needing a relationship with God. That's what he offers. And this baptism is an initiation into that life. The life of the community of God, this church the church universal. Today we remember that. Today we remember that Christ went down to the Jordan Valley and into the Jordan River and was baptized that he might show us that he's for us. He might show us a way that we can identify as one of his one of his family members. And as a family member of God, we're called to live differently. We're called to love one another, offer grace for one another, forgive one another. So when you're thinking about your your old fraternity buddies or your sorority sisters and your old college days or football days or school days or whatever days. Think about how you felt that you finally belonged. What was it that said, that said to you, that told you, you belonged to this group? Because when we remember our baptism today, we're laying claim that we belong to this group. We believe with this group. We live with this group. We love with this group. And this group is God's family. For that I am very thankful. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.